Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked, saying, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Somebody say healer. Hmm. And Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus goes on to say that I must work the works of him who have sent me while it is day, for at night is coming and no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Would you skip down to verse Oh, I believe it's verse 24. Look down to verse 24. St. John chapter 9, verse 24. And so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, we want you to give God the glory and we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. But he answered and said, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. I'd like for you to shake someone's hand and say, uh, one thing I do know, I, I was blind, but now I see. Now, if they don't want to talk to you, find one more person and just shake them by the right hand and say, neighbor, one thing I know, uh, there was a day in my life, uh, I was blind, but now I see. I want you to clap your hands and give God praise for I was blind, but now I can't see. Well, if you're going to give them praise, come on, clap your hands and give them praise. If you're going to shout, go ahead and shout. You got 30 seconds right now before you take your seat. Give God praise in advance uh, for something he's doing in your home, for something he's doing in your family. I believe, my God, that God is yet healing. He's yet saving. He's yet delivering. He's yet touching. He's yet giving breakthrough. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Come on. You got 20 seconds left. If you're going to shout, shout. If you're going to jump, jump. If you're going to run, run. Whatever you do, let everything that have breath, praise the Lord. I'm not here to go down history lane. I'm not here to have no theological conversation. But one thing I know, there was a day in uh, there was a time when I was blind, uh, but now, but now, but now, I can see, hallelujah, glory, 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 hallelujah, clap your hands as you take your seats, amen, amen, amen. God. Hallelujah. 
Oh, you just don't know what somebody's going through on your road. You don't have the right to judge nobody. You don't have the right to sit there and try to figure out something. All I know is I was blind. <laughs> but now I see. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's yet opening the eyes of those that are blind. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. Come on, take your seats if you can in the presence of the Lord. Listen, we're going to bring closure to this series of teaching and to this extended season of focusing on the importance of having a vision. You all know I've taken the last several Thursday nights and I've poured my heart out as it relates to the importance of vision, the influence of vision, and the impact of vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, that where there is no vision, the people perish. So we've looked at the value of the vision. What is it worth to you? How important is it? George Washington Carver said that, listen, where there is no vision, there is no hope. And I don't want to be anywhere where there's no hope. They say that man can live about 10 days without food or, or without water, that is, 40 days without food. But a man can't live a single moment without hope. And if you don't have a vision for your home, a vision for your family, a vision for your future, my dear friends, I believe you are without hope. And so we've taken these past few weeks and we talked about not only the value of the vision, but we looked at the voice of the vision. Tell your neighbor, the vision has a voice. So we're not only asking ourselves, what is it worth? But what is vision saying? What is vision saying? Habakkuk understood that if he shut his mouth and quit complaining and bellyaching, God would speak through the vision. Now, two things we've learned from Habakkuk about vision. Number one, vision not only has a voice, but just because God shows you a vision today don't mean it's going to come to pass tomorrow. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we make as it relates to having a vision, whether it's for our future, our home, our ministries, our missions, or whatever it is that God is showing you in the future. We think that he shows us a vision today and is supposed to be here tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, certainly the Lord will do it in the next three or four days. But uh, the Bible says clearly that the vision will tarry. Therefore, wait on the vision. Wait on the vision. You know, uh, thousands of years ago when the word wait was given, I think the people could have understood uh, the, the, the value and the essentials of waiting. But in this uh, 5G microwave wanted now overnight society, we have a problem with waiting. I'm struggling personally right now when it comes to being patient. I hear James saying that let patience have her perfect work. But right now, I don't want to hear James. I want to hear Pastor Stevens. And sometimes my flesh wants it like yesterday, and I don't want to wait. I don't like traffic jams. I don't like sitting at no red light. I don't like waiting in line unnecessarily long. I don't like waiting. But Habakkuk, if the vision is to come to pass, you have to wait on it. And last I checked, there is no expiration date to the fulfillment of vision based on Habakkuk. And so we've talked about the vision and the value, the voice, and obviously the victory a vision. Last Thursday night, I talked a message. I did part one. I do part two this coming Thursday night, and then we'll bring full comprehensive completion to the series on vision. We talked about uh, from conception to vision fulfillment, or from vision conception uh, to vision completion. So what do we do when it comes to, how do we write a vision? What, what has to be in that initial vision statement? Uh, we've learned that the vision is progressive because there's a chance that what God showed you then has already come to pass. So does it mean you just coast into the sunset and act as if ministry life is over? Absolutely not. Vision is progressive. 
So God shows you, and he continues to show you, and you have to adapt with that God is showing you. So we go from conception all the way to completion. Not only about writing the vision. I read something recently that said this. Uh, how you communicate the vision is just as important as having the vision itself. So it's not enough to have a 100% a, a vision and a 20% communication plan. I'm talking to business owners. I'm talking to men and women that are in some type of leadership or management position in the companies that you work for. Talking to husbands. It's not enough to have a blazing vision. How do you communicate that vision to your wife and to your children? Talking to the single parent mom in the room. It's not enough to have a vision. And you can put it on your screensaver. You can put it on a tattoo. But if you don't know how to communicate the vision, how will they, number one, read it? Number two, follow it. Number three, Habakkuk, run with it. Your vision should be compelling. It should be energized. Anyone who reads the vision statement, man, they ought to get excited. They ought to literally feel like, you know what, we can do this. And so we talked about the voice and the value and the victory of vision. Last Sunday, if you all were with me last Sunday, I looked at Mark chapter 8. In fact, if you remember Mark 8.22, the Bible says that there was a man in Bethsaida. It was in a small town up in the region of Israel, obviously in the Galilee, that they brought a blind man to him. And, you know, we learned there were several unique characteristics about last Sunday's healing of the blind. By the way, uh, I just want to finish this series entitled today, I Was Blind, But Now I See. I Was Blind, But Now I See. Uh, Overcoming Unbelief and Spiritual Blindness. This is part three of three series. Part three of three series. Overcoming spiritual, uh, excuse me, overcoming unbelief and spiritual blindness. Last Sunday, we looked at Mark chapter 8. Three distinctive traits we see when it came to Jesus healing the man that was blind. Let me just give you the story just for those who are new today. The Bible says, verse 23, so he took the blind man by the hand, number one, and he led him outside of the town. Number two, he spits in his eye or on his eyes and puts his hand on him, and then he asked the man, what did you see? Number three, the Bible says that the man said, I see men as trees walking. Now, very, very interesting at this junction of Scripture, of us, we really don't know what to say because we're not used to seeing healing in phases, healing in stages, progressive, ongoing. Uh, in fact, we look at Jesus, the perfect one, and said, well, wait a minute. If his healing was so powerful, why would it need a second time? But there was something that God wanted to prove in Mark chapter 8. You remember last Sunday. So we came with these three conclusions. Number one, healing has to be without, or excuse me, healing, this particular healing has to come without distraction. Whatever miracle, Whatever healing, we sung the song, we shouted, we danced, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to believe God for a miracle of healing in your life, your family, for your future vision, your blind, uh, being un, not being spiritually blind. We, we, we realize one thing. Uh, sometimes God purposely removes you from the popularity of the crowd. And I believe that in every crowd, you're always going to have some doubters, some naysayers, some skeptics, those who are pessimists, unbelievers, and those who are cynical. Uh, this is why it's important, whatever vision God shows you for your future, for your family, for ministry, missions, or, 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 or whatever it is that God has put upon your heart to do, that's great. You better be very careful whom you share that with and when you share that with them. Because there are vision killers. There are haters and people who don't want to see you go any far beyond that you're able to go. All right? Now, once again, we're talking about what happened last week. Mark chapter 8. Number two, we find out that this healing would be absolutely unorthodox. What does that mean? This healing would be totally 
counter, all right, are totally opposite of what you and I would, would logically or practically think healing should be. Jesus purposely goes the opposite direction when healing this particular man. He does some things that are unorthodox. In other words, they were unexpected. Uh, they were unpredicted. And if the truth be told, this particular healing was unexplainable. May I submit to every one of you today, there will be some miracles in your life. There'll be some healing in your life. There will be some opening of eyes in your lives that won't quite come the way you think it ought to come. This is why it's important not to try to predict what God's going to do. Don't think you can corner God into your area or your level of understanding, and God is obligated to do it that way. In fact, God, last I checked, will often go opposite of what you're trying to figure him out just so he gets the glory and not your college uh, education just so he gets the glory and not the fact you come up from a certain pedigree or from a certain background. And so healing will be absolutely unorthodox. Wouldn't have been the first time he spit on the ground or spit in a man's eyes or took saliva and mud and put them together to bring healing. Wouldn't that have been the first time he put his finger in his mouth and stuck it in a man's ear and a man heard clearly or he touched his tongue and he spoke without stuttering. Jesus has a way of bringing healing to the body of Christ in areas that are unexplainable. Come on, say unexplainable. Huh? Unexpected. Come on, say unexpected. And unpredicted. Come on, say unpredicted. Thirdly, we find out that Jesus brings healing. And this particular healing we saw last week, as uh, Sister Cheryl uh, reminded us in song, would come in stages. It would come gradual. This healing would not be instant. And I know we, many of us, come from a background where, you know, uh, come to the altar and somebody's going to lay hands on you and instantly presto, you're going to be healed and go back to your chair and life is lived happily ever after. That don't happen in Scripture. This healing will be gradual. I'll submit today what I said last week. I think it's very important that all of you all know. And you may play a deaf ear to it today, but you'll need it sometime soon. Healing oftentimes comes in three different forms. Instant all right, gradual, all right, and when you get to heaven. Some healing under the miraculous hand of our God will be instant. I still believe that he is a, heal, a healer that heals instantly. I'm still believing that when I lay hands on the sick, they can recover right then and there. You may be embarrassed or ashamed to go to the hospital and lay hands, but I'm not. I still believe the dead can rise. I still believe in spirit, not just spiritual, but I still believe in opening of practical eyes of giving other sight. I don't need CBS or ABC or, or CNN to do some documentary of somebody who was blind and now they see, now they want to give the medical world all the credit. My guy been healing blindness for, for the, from ages of time. You get happy and all hot and bothered when someone hears for the first time and you get all teary-eyed watching a YouTube video and the clip. But uh, last I checked, he'd been healing from deafness for, for ancients of time. So some healing is instant. But today we see, as we saw last week, some healing is gradual. The Bible says those 10 lepers of Luke chapter 17, he healed them of leprosy, but it didn't happen instantly. In fact, the Bible says as they went, they were healed. All right, Naaman, who was a very powerful power broker in the Old Testament, didn't want to hear the man of God, but he realized if I don't obey and hear what the, the word of the Lord is, I'm going to stay in the leprosy the rest of my life. But Naaman goes and he dips in the Jordan River seven times, and as he was obedient, I often say that for many of us, we wouldn't have made it that path the third time. 
Because we're triune and trinitarian in our doctrine. One for the Father, the Holy Ghost, and one for the Son. All right, that three times that said he is, I guess he ain't going to heal me. But seven times he returns to the Jordan River to be dipped. And God heals him. That healing was gradual. Some of you all, God will only heal as you follow the instructions of the doctor. You can sit on that garment, or you can sit on, what is that thing called they put on, well, those white robes they put on when you're naked and you're behind the showing. Uh, those, what are they called? Gowns. I thought it was another word. You can sit there with that gown on and quote and confess and possess and, and claim and decree and declare, and you can look at that doctor, he or she, and say, I'm a child of God. Don't you know who I am? You're still going to have to take this medication if you want to live uh, 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 another 20 years. You're going to have to change your diet. You're going to have to do a little exercising. You're going to have to put down them pork rinds and ha uh, fat back and ham hock and, 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 and all those. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have to learn. When I'm a child, well, you go, you're going to be a child of God. We're going to bear early. So some healing comes gradually. And as God speaks, to those in the health profession. I don't want you to be ignorant, and please don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass our church. Don't embarrass the Word of God by defying wisdom, knowledge, and instructions that comes in the health world. Now, somewhere as a child of God, somewhere as a man or woman of faith, you're going to have to reconcile within yourself. I know that they're saying this, but I'm still believing God, the ultimate healer, for greatness, for greater. Hezekiah understood it. Hezekiah said, man, you're going to die. You got me. In fact, the Lord said you're going to die. And the Bible says Hezekiah went out and wept bitterly. And God had heard his prayer and seen his tears and said, go back and tell him. I'm all right. Okay, okay, I got you. Well, I'm going to give you 15 more years to live. I have to believe the word of God. Although I consult with professional counsel, we consult with professional help, and we need it and we apply it. But as the believer in Christ, the Word of God will always be priority in our lives. Thirdly, healing, uh, not only would it come in gradual stages, but we also found out that God will heal in heaven. And I think last week that was the part of the service where you know, it kind of got a little, little, little quiet, kind of like it is right now. Because I'm not sure if we're willing to accept the fact on the earth that some healing doesn't hum, come until someone goes to heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm believing God for healing on the earth. I love instant healing. And I'm all right with gradual healing. But we're going to have to understand theology and scripture. But not, not everybody on the earth got healed. Some folk did not see ultimate restoration, healing, until they got into heaven. And that within itself goes against our personal, self-willed, expectations of who we are and what we want. It's a very tough thing to stay in a hospital when someone's going through. It's not easy when you have to look at a family who loses a loved one, particularly early in life. There are not a lot of answers, not a lot of words that you can share. In fact, they tell you in professional counseling, the, the, the more tragic the grief, the less words you should say. But as the body of Christ, there will be suffer and loss in our lifetime. There will be family members and very, very dear and close loved ones that will pass away. 
And we have to understand scripture that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Somewhere or another, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, he's yet sovereign. This what makes him God and like no one else. He can do what he wants to do. How, and who am I as mere mortal man to be mad at God when things don't go our way? He heals instantly. He heals in time gradually. But some healing in our families will not come until they get to heaven. And that's something we have to be, in fact, established with. Uh, this morning, real quick, John chapter 9. I just wanted to review that. I thought it was important to go back over that just for a few moments. Because, again, I, I, we, don't, we, don't, we don't pause enough to deal with some of the heavier matters of Scripture. We don't slow down enough. We want to just be footloose, free, and fancy, and get to all of the good stuff in Bible. And we don't want to deal with stuff that we personally don't agree with. If it was up to us, everyone would live a, a, a 120 years. Everyone would be healthy the day they die at 120 as they were when they were 20 years old. But that's not life. It's not reality. Not in the Scriptures, it's not. And we have to realize that as John the Baptist said, I decrease, John 3.30, and he increased. It's still his kingdom. It's still his gospel. It's still him. And we must submit and honor that. Uh, John chapter 9. Again, I wanted to give one last example of God's healing of blindness. In the, in the New Testament. In fact, let me remind you all, we, we, we agreed, uh, if you remember, we agreed last Sunday or Sunday before last that spiritual blindness was considered the un, being unable, all right, or unwilling to learn, uh, to discern, and to judge. Spiritual blindness, again, the message today is overcoming unbelief and spiritual blindness, overcoming unbelief, all right, and spiritual blindness. Uh, it goes hand in hand with the importance of having vision because I don't want to see anyone lack no one should feel neglected. No one should live beneath the privilege and the presence of God given on your life. Not in this church, not under this type of teaching, not with the word of God, not in this season. You cannot hold it against me, the Lord, this church, that you didn't get pushed to the max when it comes to living out your calling, to having a vision, to doing something great in the kingdom. Oh, I know we're going to be great when we get to heaven, but, but he may not be ready of you to come to heaven. What if he wants you to stay another 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years? What will you do to occupy until you call a call to go home? I say live a life of greatness. I say get your red, white, hot vision, run with it, cast it out, believe it, run with it, and see God do something great in your life. But if you're not willing to adhere to that, you're spiritually blind. You're unable, and I don't think that's the case for most of us in this room. I believe many of us are just unwilling. We're unwilling to learn to discern, or to judge. In fact, I read a scripture last week. I'll read it again. I think it's very important to understand the scripture. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, whose mind, the God, that is the devil or Satan of this age, has blinded, again, those who do not believe. In other words, the enemy, the Diablo, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, all right? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Paul recognizes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that his goal or his objective is to keep you blind. He really wants it so that you don't understand what it means to discern the move of God, to learn the ways and the word of God, the will of God. And so the devil of this world, the God, little g, of this world, his goal is to keep you blinded, is to keep you in unbelief, all right? So we know that the enemy comes to keep his people blind. This is why it's important to you and I that we, not, we don't suffer with spiritual blindness. It's important that we see what God sees. It's important that we do what God called us to do, all right? So John chapter 9. Bible says this. There was a man 
who was blind from his birth. John chapter 9, verse 1. Number two, the disciples asked, who has sinned, him or his parents? Somewhere or another, these disciples are new Christians. They're just now learning the new ways of Christ. But there's an old spirit of religion in them that says, hey, time out. Who's seeing that this little boy will be, now, the, word, the word is man. I, I'm not quite sure if he was a full-grown 18-year-old man or not. Maybe at the Roman, excuse me, at the Hebrew age of 12, he was considered a man. I'm not really sure. But I don't think this was an old man uh, sitting here that Jesus talks about. Because the Bible references time and time again later in the chapter, his parents. I think that somewhere in all of this, this was a young man. Maybe an older teenage boy. Maybe, maybe not. We, we, we won't go into it right now. But what is important is his, the people want to know who's seeing him or his parents that he is born blind. They're under this old law, mosaic law of scripture that fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Fathers have sinned and the kids pay the price. That old religiousness, that whole spirit of law and Moses. In fact, the Bible says that these were the disciples of Moses. In other words, they're not coming to the understanding that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're not too quite sure that he's really King and Lord. In fact, they call him a sinner. Ain't that something? They call our Lord and Savior a sinner. Why? Because he decided to heal on the Sabbath. What's more important, honoring and keeping of a religious day or the recovering of sight to a boy who's never seen one day in his life? amazing how when we begin, how, it's amazing how we unfortunately can become religious and we minor in the majors and we major in the minors. We split hair over little simple things that ought not matter and the more weightier things of the gospel and of the kingdom we ignore. It's a spirit of religion. In fact, they call themselves the disciples of Moses. We are bound by the Old Testament law and we're not willing to learn. We're not willing to discern, and we're not even willing to judge that Jesus is the Christ. So the disciples are in a crosshair. They, they're not sure what to believe. Who's saying this man? Oh, his mom and daddy. What is Jesus' response? He goes on to say in verse 3, he says that it is neither this man nor his parents that have sinned. In fact, it is all about that I would work the works of God while it is day. Uh, in fact, would you look at verse 3? Just look at verse 3, John 9, 3. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. For I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That night is coming when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus says, uh, I am the light of the world. Let's stop just for a moment. Now, let's put all this together. You got a man who's blind, all right? You got a group of folk who are spiritually blind, and Jesus is standing right in the midst of all them, ain't nobody seeing them. Could it be 2,000 years later that Jesus comes into the midst of his people through worship and praise? His presence fills the temple and his glory is revealed and you yet don't see him? You yet can't discern him? You're waiting for the personality gifts? You're waiting for a handout? You're waiting for somebody to hook you up? But Jesus is in the room and when Jesus comes in the room, healing comes in the room. This is why we express our worship and our gratitude and our expressions to the Lord. Uh, it's not that we're trying to jimmy up a miracle. It's not we're trying to concoct a healing. But I believe that worship is my total response to the fact that God wants to heal, deliver, and set free. Well, I don't need no healing. I don't need no deliverance. And I don't need to be set free. But you're going to need something one day. You're going to need something sooner or later. And our God comes to minister 
to your needs. Uh, let's go back real quick. So Jesus turns the story and the focus from the blind man, and he turns the focus to himself. What are you saying, Pastor Stephen? In other words, from the man's inability to God's ability. He turns the story from the man's handicap to his healing power. Jesus turns the story from the man's blindness to Jesus' blessings. Finally, he turns the story from the man's unfortunate story to his impending glory. There's something right now in your life that quite ain't right with God. There's a handicap. There's a negligence. Somewhere the, the, the dots ain't, ain't connecting. Somewhere in our lives, I'm saying our lives, the areas that just don't measure up. And we got to sit in here and struggle theologically. Am I going to reap what I've sown? Bible says in Romans 8 and 1 that, they, uh, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes because of the guilt and the shame of sin and compromise in our past lives. If we just kind of like in holding pattern, wonder when is our day in court going to come? Who has sinned, this man or his parents? One thing's for sure, you will reap what you sown. And these disciples are sitting here shaking and buckling at the knees. Who's reaping now? You know, the question was asked the other day in, in, in our new members' class. Uh, the, 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 the conversation was held about reaping what we sow. If God forgives us, do we still pay the penalty? If we go to the Lord and ask God for forgiveness of sin, do we still have to pay the consequences? Y'all like to have that conversation. I can look in your eyes and see right now. I'm awake now. I wouldn't wake early, but I'm awake now. Because, see, that's what these disciples were struggling with. Ultimately, for this little boy to be blind, somebody did something wrong. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That won't be the case with this one. Oh, by the way, it's not going to be about his handicap, his blindness, or his neglect. It's going to be more so that I have come to be the light in your life. David struggled with that question when he was presented and posed with the option, do you want to fall to the hands of man, or do you want to fall to the hands of the Lord? David said, I'd rather fall in the hands of the Lord's judgment, because somewhere in his court there's mercy and justice. Somewhere in this court, there's some grace and some forgiveness. But if you let me fall to these, uh, these men right here, I am in trouble. Hmm? I was talking to uh, uh, Dr. Patricia Lewis the other day on the phone, and, and she, yeah, I, won't, I won't say where she got it from, but she said, you know, the Bible says, yeah, I know how we tell people that the Lord won't put anything on you that you can't handle. You can't, God won't put anything you can't bear. Uh, when God is for you, who could be against you? She said, yeah, that was, that was before uh, uh, God created Negroes in the earth. Uh, because if they get against you, they are against you. So when it comes to mercy, when it comes to grace, when it comes to God's forbearance, we better hope. We don't reap everything we've sown. You better pray to God that you don't reap everything you've sown. Somewhere in this decision-making court, pray to God give you mercy and patience. And y'all not talking to me. Y'all looking at y'all never sinned a day in your life. Like you were born in the holies of holy and not one time even had the thought of compromising sin. But as for this poor preacher here, and for a handful of folk in this church, you better pray that God have mercy on your soul. 
Because if the truth were to be told, the things that we deserve, he holds back from us. Uh-huh. Ain't it like God, the thing that he blesses us with, truth be told, we really didn't deserve to get in the first place? Come on, someone say, thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. I better go back and answer that question about consequences. Now, now so the natural, so the spiritual. Now, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a police officer. I'm not an, an attorney. I don't, I'm not a judge by any means. But I do believe that motives are taken in consideration when a man steals something. Man, steal a Big Mac uh, hamburger when, when someone went to the bathroom off the table because he was hungry. There may be a little bit of leniency in that judgment. But if you go uh, uh, armed robbery to the Federal Reserve and rob the bank and want to take everybody out with you, now, I think that judgment is going to be a little different than the man who stole while he was hungry. Are you still with me? Maybe we'll give mercy on the man who was hungry and help him get a job so he won't have to steal no more. But for the person who was insensitive and just wanted to show out in front of his friends so he could be initiated into the game, now that may be a whole different story. Uh, what are you saying? Uh, what I'm saying is simply is this. Uh, when it comes to our motives, when it comes to the consequences, now, uh, God forgives the sin. Yes, we know that, right? We, we believe God forgives. What about seven? What, seven times 70? In other words, it's not 490, but it's sort of the principle of the fact that God is loving and forgiving, and he gives you more opportunity to get it right. All right, but some of the sins we commit, even though he forgives us, there still might be some consequences to that sin. Once again, I'm asking God for mercy. I'm asking God for favor as I am judged with the consequences of this sin. Maybe, maybe I'll do a couple of days. Maybe I'll do 30 years. But God, in the court of your mercy, because I'm not sure, I'm not really convinced that it does not come with some sense of consequence. God forgave David, but ultimately David lost the kingdom. He's still the apple of his own eye. He's still a man after his own heart. He's still one of the greatest leaders in all of Israel. But David lost the kingdom. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God does love you and forgives you and he'll heal and minister and bless you. But there, have, there may have to be some consequences. So these disciples want to know who sinned, the man or the parents. God says, neither. It's all about me. I want to show you that I am Jesus. I am Lord. Even on the Sabbath day, I will go and defy the laws of religiosity and the laws of tradition, and I'll do something in your life. I'm almost finished. Let me give you three things to consider real quick before we go. I got three absolute essentials to receiving, uh, 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 receiving uh, increase of vision, all right, and, 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 and spiritual sight. Now, there are two people in this room right now. There's a man and a woman who doesn't have spiritual sight. You're spiritually blind. You're a great man, great couple, great woman. But right now, you may be able to see with your physical eyes, but you've yet to see God's plan for your life. You're spiritually blind. And then the other person in the room, you're spiritually, you can see well and you're doing quite fine, but your vision's too small. Your dreams are too small. You've yet not applied faith and something grand to what God wants to do in your life. So I believe that these three principles can work for both of you in this room. He wants to bring you out of blindness, and he wants to increase your vision while you're yet on the earth. Number one, you're going to have to understand the fear of the Lord. I need you to go back home and understand the value of having a fear of the Lord. And this particular word fear doesn't mean being a coward, doesn't mean being soft, doesn't mean being scared. But it means let's get back to the days of reverencing God. Let's go back to the days of honoring the Lord. Let's go back to the days of respecting God. I, I, I want to make this really, really plain. Because sometimes it's in the simplest of things we do and say that dishonor the Lord. You know, I was at a ball game yesterday, and the woman sitting in front of me, every other time the, the quarterback made a bad mistake, Jesus Christ! 
Five minutes later, my wife passed Sharon, Jesus Christ. And then, and you know, I thought about the scripture, thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. Now, y'all get that equated to using the word, uh, you know, that curse word, but that's not really what the Bible meant, but using the, word, the Lord's name in vain. When you call on the Lord and don't need him, when you have simplified for your level of comfort a religiousness to call on this good luck charm because of your comfort level, but yet in essence you really are not imploring him, you've just wasted his time. You've just used his name in vain. May I, say, may I encourage every one of you, stop using the Lord's name in vain. Stop calling on Jesus and you don't want him. Stop using his name for your good luck and your good will and you really have no attention to pray. Everybody okay so far? About 30 minutes later when the touchdown was thrown, she said, thank you, Jesus. I said that over religious demon spirit. We have no more reverence for the Lord. We come to church late. We want to leave early. We don't want to give no money. We don't want to give no volunteer time. We get mad when this is said. We get mad when that's said. And then we want to go home and look up to heaven and blame God. We've lost our respect for the Lord. Uh, uh, it's all right to say amen. Come on, it's all right to say amen. In our talk, do we honor the Lord? In our walk, do we respect the Lord? What about our time? Is it honoring to him to spend time in prayer, to, to spend time in the word of God? What about God's children? How do we honor God's children? We should be so kind and friendly and loving one to another. But when there's no fear of the Lord, you know Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Listen to the scriptures. It preaches itself. Fear the Lord. You won't have no problem with evil. Learn to honor to reverence, to respect. That's one thing I appreciate about the older generation of saints. And God bless the older generation of saints. If they didn't have nothing else, they taught us to have a reverence. There were just certain things we didn't do on Sundays. We may have listened to Power 98 Monday through Saturday, but Sundays, we flipped that channel. Some of you still doing that, I see. Yeah, see, see there was just certain things about God's house. When I was growing up, no one smoked when the preacher came in the room. They, 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 they pinched their cigarette and put it back. You, you know what I'm talking about. They pinched it until the preacher walked by. All right? Then when he's gone, they go to puffing again. There was just a certain reverence about the house of God, about the man of God, about the ways of God. But we don't walk in that honor and that reverence, and we don't walk in that, in, 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 in that respect anymore. There were just certain things that were not done in the house of God. Certain things that were not done in the presence of the people of God. And I feel that because we don't have a reverence for the Lord, we don't see healing. We don't see our vision increase. You know, I, I can't help but ask this question. Here's a young man who doesn't know the Lord. And God yet brings healing to him. Here's the young man who self-expresses, I don't know if he was Jesus or not. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I'm not sure where he's at in the whole pecking order of the kingdom. But here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Now, here's the question I'll ask, and I'm almost finished real quick. Seriously, I am. If God would do this for a boy who doesn't know him, 
No relationship, no covenant, no commitment, no consecration, no anything. How much more does he want to do for you, the child of God? How much more does he want to increase your vision? How much more does he want to bring sight to those that are blind and your family? If he could do this for an entire family. You know, if you keep reading John chapter 9, they say, leave the boy alone. Let's go talk to his parents. Hey, parents, you tell us. What happened to your son? They say, hey, don't ask me. Go ask him. He's a grown man. Because they were fearing the Sadducees more than they feared the Lord. They go back to the boy a second time. They say, come on, tell us one more time. He said, why do you keep asking me this? Do you also now want to be saved? Let me read the scripture. Do you also want to be a disciple yourself? I mean, because somewhere in your religiosity inquisitions, or excuse me, somewhere in your religious uh, inquisitiveness, uh, there's a hunger. They want to know, man, if he can see, I can see too. If God could do something for this boy, what could he do for us? I was blind, but now I see. Number one, let's go back to having fear of the Lord in our lives. I want to challenge every one of you to watch what comes out of your mouth. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. It cringes me when I hear people just cry Jesus just because it's a religious, comfortable thing to do. Let's go back to respecting our God when it comes to time. I know you're hungry and you want to be first in line at KFC or K&W or, 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 or Show Mars or whatever, but stay to the benediction. Them extra five minutes ain't going to kill you. It's not. All right? Church started at 10 o'clock every Sunday. Last I checked, it's been at least six, seven years since we changed the time of the church. But you consistently come in at 11.15. And you come in walking slow at that. <laughs> You go fake it, fake it till you make it. Come walk fast. Act like you overslept. Come to church on time. I didn't feel nothing in the Lord today. Well, that's because you missed present worship. You missed the time of exhorting. You missed the, the anointing. You missed the giving. You just barely got here for the end of the service. So you can get somebody's phone number. And you wonder why God not doing nothing in your life. No respect, no reverence, no honor for the king. If we go back to being a church and a people that honors the king, man, you talking about miracles? You talking about signs and wonders? You talking about breakthrough? Number two, there was faith in his word. There was faith in his word. I know I'm taking a little extra time today, but I, I want to get this into your spirit real good today. Number two, there was faith in his word. The Bible says when he said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and he had known the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said, now go and wash in the pool of Shalom, uh, Shalom which is translated scent. And the Bible says, so he went and washed and he came back seeing. Somewhere in all of this, faith was injected. The Bible says, just write it down, Hebrews 4 and 2. The Bible says, some heard the word. But we heard the word and we mixed it with our faith. 
And because we heard the word and mixed it with our faith, it profited or it increased or it gave us the advantage. It's not enough just to hear the word. You'll have to apply some faith. Romans 4, 19 and 20, write it down. Abraham did not waver with unbelief. In fact, the Bible says he believed God and he grew stronger in his faith, but he was fully convinced or he was fully determined that God was able to do exactly what he said he would do. And therefore, God accounted to him faith. What I'm saying to you today is this. You will not have an increased vision and if you don't have an increased vision, how are you going to have the reality of, of the dream coming to pass? How will you one day sit back and say, God, you've been faithful and good to me. Look at what you've done for me. That day will never happen if you can't see it first. And if you can't see it first, what gives you the right to expect it? But it all happens when you have faith that God is able. The Bible says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? 1 Corinthians 1 and 20. Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 25. Because of the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. God makes a strong argument that even on your smartest day, on your most wisest day, it can never match, all right, can never match the awesomeness of God. In fact, he goes counter, he goes directly opposite of all you think you can become, and he shows you even in his foolishness, he confounds the wise. I won't have time to take you there, but 1 Corinthians 2, 12 says it this way. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but we receive the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but in the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with the spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, nor can he discern them, because they are spiritually discerned. Let somebody spit in your eyes. Let somebody take clay and mud and spit and want to bring you healing of sight. We say, no, not on this day. It ain't going to happen. But you, my dear friend, will be blind for the rest of your life. You're trying to compare something that happens in the heavenly course of God, what happened in the classrooms of your, post, uh, of your, of, of your degree. You're trying to match something that God does in the spirit with all you've ever known for 40 years in the natural. Therefore, you cannot spiritually discern them. In fact, they're foolish to you. I'll say it one last time, and I'll be finished. Sometimes God takes the unorthodox, the unplanned, the unexpected. The, the, Sometimes he takes the unpredicted, the unexplainable, to do something in your life that you really can't put. It doesn't make a hill of being sense to you. But you have to know not only is the fear of God, but it's also the faith in his word. If God said he would do it for you, why doubt him? Why struggle with unbelief? Why not just receive his word, give him the praise, and watch it come to pass? Third and finally, they followed holy. It wasn't just about the fear of the Lord that began. It wasn't the faith that sustained, but at the end, they followed to the full. These are essential absolutes that you have to have in your life. These are, are, are non-negotiable. I, I, I won't be able to bargain with these three thoughts, th three thoughts. I have to have a fear of the Lord on my life. And I know that seems so mundane. Oh, it seems so old-fashioned. It seems so antiquated. But I don't want to live without having some sense of godly fear in and on my life. 
Bible goes back in Proverbs 3 and said, it will be healing to your flesh and strength to your bones. Even my physical body can be better because of the fear of the Lord. My spiritual house can be even stronger because of the fear of the Lord. And then I have faith in his word, faith that he can do it. But will I follow to the end? Will we follow to the end? The Lord spoke to my heart this morning and said, son, my delays are not my denials. You all don't know the last few days I've had to deal with and endure with in my own life as a leader, as a pastor, as a minister. And I'm saying, God, what gives? What gives? My delays are not my denials. You may live within time, but I don't live within time. And when we understand that God is bigger than time and he was before time, we're going to be all right. Because I found out that if I follow to the full, he will bless me beyond. In fact, let me give you this. It wasn't about the natural or physical sight that was most important that day to that young boy, but it was about the spiritual scene. It was about the spiritual sight that he, his parents, and every witness that they had. It was never about the healing of the boy's eyes being opened, all so much as it was about Jesus getting the glory. Now, from this day forward, in fact, I won't have time to take you there, but just write down verse 35 through 39. Jesus circles the wagon. He goes back to the boy's house and says, hey, let's have this conversation. What really went on when you were talking to those religious leaders? Bible says Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when they had found him, he said to that boy, do you believe in the Son of God? Verse 36, and he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to that boy, you have both seen him, and it is he that you're talking to. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment has come into this world that those who do not see, they may see. And that those who see today forward, now they will be the ones that are blind. He makes the first to last, the last to first. He takes those who think they can see something, and he blinds them. Those who've been blind, he now opens their eyes. It was never about the natural. It was never about the physical. But it was all that a generation of people in John chapter 9 would come to know the Lord and the pardon of their sin. The boy said, I believe, I believe. And I worship him. And Jesus said, today prophecy is being fulfilled. I have come that the blind may now see, and that those who thought they were seeing something, they'll be blinded. And they will remain blinded until the veil has been taken from their eyes. Let's stand to our feet. Something happens when you take God at his word and you believe him for spiritual sight. Something happens when you're able to hear the word of God, have a fear of the Lord, faith in his word, and follow him wholly. And I know you believe God. I know you, but I, there's no doubt in my mind that 95% of the people in this room have some sense of fear of the Lord, reverence, respect, conviction on that. There's no doubt in my mind. And I know that many of you all will have faith when it's most appropriate and necessary to have faith. But can we follow him wholly to the end? Can we follow him fully to the end? That's the question that remains. They want to have this very long and exhaustive conversation. Is he Lord or not? Is he sinner or not? Is he the real deal or not? Boy, see, I was blind. I couldn't tell at the time. Well, here's what I know now. I can see. But what he failed to tell those uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, and religious folk, wasn't well, just my natural sight. Today is now my spiritual sight. I know this is going to sound very awkward and sane, but I'd rather you have spiritual sight and go to heaven to get your natural sight than to have natural sight on the earth 
and not have spiritual sight. Because if you don't have spiritual sight, you're not going to heaven. Because you would have never learned, nor would you have discerned who God was in your life. For a group of folk in John chapter 9, he was, he was a sinner. He was an unbelieving sinner. And you have to realize that in those days, there's a whole lot of quote-unquote self-proclaimed prophets and self-proclaimed saviors and self-proclaimed healers. So Jesus, to them, is just one in the number. What makes him different from all the other self-proscribed healers and sons of God's? So they had a fiduciary responsibility to vet the process. Let's make sure that he's not like everybody else. But Jesus, even Jesus could not convince these blind religious people that I am the one. I'll go back to one of my original questions. Can he come into the house? Can he come into the room and you yet not know it? There is a good chance and there is a good probability that he's been visiting and coming to your home. And you didn't know it. Why? Because it was spiritually discerned. We've gotten so wrapped up in the fantasy leagues and fantasy footballs and fantasy dreams and fantasy churches. We don't know the real deal when we see it. I'm a little concerned with all these reality TV shows. I'm equally concerned with all of the shows that just glorify and glamorize the scandals and the empires of our lives. Slowly but surely, there's a little whittling, a little shifting and sifting. It's not an over. The media in the world knows better than to hit you all at one good time. But just a little bit of nudity here. Just a little bit of cursing there. A little bit of acceptance and normality here. And before you know it, we have so drifted from the truth, we're now calling right wrong and calling wrong right. One of the major bills on the floor for voting in, in Texas and Houston, particularly my hometown city, this past week, we saw the signs all over the place was, uh, should we allow men in women's bathrooms? Only a pervert wants to go into a woman's bathroom. You ain't no man. I mean, you ain't no woman. A pervert and a pedophile. But why would we want to pass laws accepting men in women's bathrooms? I mean, seriously, seriously. That's real deal stuff. You would think that this was a fantasy world. You'd think we'd talking about a whole other planet on the other side of the solar system. But they're now wanting to legislate, and guess what? If you call it wrong, you're going to jail. For a man to be in a woman's bathroom? Spiritually blind. You can help today by having sight. You have a voice, you have vision, you have values. You can make a difference not only in the court of the kingdom, but even in the court of this world. That's why the church must make a difference. That's why Jesus has come, that he is the light of the world. And if you and I are going to be a child of God, we better get used to being the light of the world. Well, I want to be politically correct, and I want to bother nobody. You're going to hell. Unashamedly. Without any reservation, no apologies necessary, don't send me no emails, no text messages, you're going straight to hell. You have to take a stand. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. When I got saved 26, 7 years ago, they made it crystal clear. Heaven or hell? Holiness or sin? Jesus or the devil? It couldn't get no clearer than that. Salvation or damnation? What's it going to be?
Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You got to make some choices here, son. And now we're so mosaic and we're so uh, fusioned and all these 50 shades of gray and all that stuff. We don't know what to believe. Spiritual little blindness. Spiritual blindness. I want to pray with our friends today and I want to help you out. I hope I can help you out. I may not be the best positive motivational speaker you've heard in your entire lifetime, but let me tell you one thing. What I have can keep you out of hell. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> you may not want to high five and thank me today, but you will thank me one day. And sometimes I just got to feel like I got to give an apology from all the pastors and churches of the past because they preach such cotton candy dandelion messages that kept you laughing and kept you comfortable and kept you feeling good in your sins. I preach half of a message on hell. You look at me like I'm a heretic. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I don't want to see one man miss his privilege on the earth. I don't want to see one woman fall beneath God's expectations on the earth. And sometimes these things are spiritually discerned. And it's so important that we have sight. It's so important that we see. And Father, today I thank you for men and women, God, who hear the word of the Lord. Not on my prowess or my ability to teach or preach, but God, may the word convict their hearts. May they realize that you have come to save from sin and from sickness and Satan's plans for their lives. That you've come to forgive them of all of their sins. That they don't have to go home heavy laden in the uh, condemnation of their past. They don't have to go home drowning in the guilt of yesterday. But God, I thank you today whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Satan, I bind you and I come against every plan, every spiritual blinder. I come against every spirit of deception in the name of Jesus. In fact, we come against the God of this world who comes to blind the minds of them that don't believe. Father, I thank you that you give us authority, you give us power, you give us an anointing to destroy the works of the enemy. That Jesus is the light of the world and that men should come and see upon him and have life and life.